Hey y'all, welcome back to another installment of Black Fashion History, the podcast that teaches you everything you need to know about the contributions of Black people all around the world to the fashion industry. And of course, I'm your host, Taniqua Russ. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Y'all, it is May 2020. We are five months into this year, a year that shaped up to be less than what we all expected. But you know, we had to, you know, we put on our Superman cape and we're doing what we got to do to make this year a good one, despite everything that's going on. With that in mind, I want to give a special shout out to all of the 2020 graduates. I know this year you are super excited for your graduation. You are going to get lit. You're about to get flued out. You know, all of that. You are going to do everything and more to celebrate all of your hard work. But it just didn't happen like that. And I'm so sorry about that. But I want to say from the bottom of my heart, um, I know it won't make a difference, but <laughs> From Black Fashion History, we want to give you guys the biggest congratulations ever. We're proud of you. You guys have worked so hard. Um, you're deserving of this moment. Um, you're deserving of more. And hopefully when the world opens back up, you get to take your full moment and get to celebrate as you deserve. We also want to take some time to highlight some of those amazing Black graduates of 2020. So if you are a Black student studying fashion, whether you're in high school or college, graduate school, whatever the case may be, if you're a Black fashion student, we want you to send us an email at theblackfashioncloset at gmail.com because we want to give you a special shout out on the podcast. Do something a little special for you for your graduation. Now let's get into today's episode. So today I'm coming to you with another interview. I had the amazing opportunity to sit down with a fellow entrepreneur. She's also an IP attorney. She's a designer and she is a YouTuber and um, influencer. And we got into what it means to be an IP lawyer why you need an IP lawyer as a fashion brand and how designers and young fashion business owners can really protect their brand and their legacy. So you want to start a podcast, right? I know it can seem really daunting and complicated to have to think through how to record it or how to edit it and even how to upload it. But don't worry about any of that. I'm about to give you the only tool you need to create an A1 top of the line podcast. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can even start making money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Now, all you have to do is download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm, that's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M, to get started today. Now, let's get back into our content. Hi, everyone. My name is Jalisa Johnson. Um, I am a lawyer, a designer, and I consider myself to be an alien as well. Um, I am an intellectual property lawyer with an interest in fashion law, particularly. And uh, as a designer, I design clothing for Black women, just maybe a little bit more eccentric for the aliens who like to stand out in a room. 
Um, and I also have a legal series on YouTube where I teach intellectual property law to entrepreneurs. So basically teaching on young entrepreneurs how to best protect their brand or their clothing brand, their music, different forms of art, how to protect it in a legal space. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I have to start off by saying that I just love everything that you do. I first you. found you online from mm-hmm. your old blog when you were like, no, yes. for old trends. Yeah. Old trends. Uh-huh. I remember. Yeah. I remember. I was like, I feel like this is a long time in the making, a long time coming yeah. for us to actually, like, collab and talk. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. I remember from way back then, and I started following you because you were just, like, a different kind of fashion blogger. Like, looking online, everybody was mm-hmm. dressing the same and wearing the same yeah. thing, and it was so boring to me. And then I saw mm-hmm. you and your little different and eccentric and I was like yes yeah. this is what I yeah like yeah to have on my <laughs> timeline mm-hmm. yeah like yeah wear, I remember you wear like different yeah. wigs and you mix prints mm-hmm. and colors I'm like yes this is what I like to see <laughs> thank you thank you I felt very alone in that space so I was just like there's so many people looking the same um and right. I just felt like at the time it was really messy with my self-esteem too so I was just like no it's okay to be different I'm going to show that so I think that kind of translated into, like, my brand and business in general. Like, I celebrate people's differences. That's the whole point of everything that I do. So, yeah. No, I love mm-hmm. that. And I think what makes it even better is that you are a lawyer now. And, mm-hmm. you know, when people think about law and attorneys, there's, like, this yes. cookie-cutter model and you have yes. to be, you know, Mm-hmm. Tie neutral colors. Yeah. You know, you have to look a certain way. So I think it's very mm-hmm. powerful for people to see you being who you are and being different, and then of course being a black woman, and then mm-hmm. also like being a lawyer. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think I've been struggling with that. I guess throughout hot law school as well, being I guess unconventional in like a traditional space in a traditional field. And it's had it, you know, ups and downs to where I felt like I was stifling myself just to kind of get along with the status quo. But um, I think I'm going to go ahead and just make my own name, make my own name for myself in the business. And I think fashion law is an area where you can kind of be more creative than you can be in regular, like, corporate law or maybe in tax Mm -hmm. law. So you can definitely show more of your individuality. So I think that drove me to fashion law in the first place. But in the sense, it's still traditional. So I think you still have to make a name for yourself and really get yourself out there. So that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> yeah, so how did you become interested in fashion? And then what made you go, hmm, let me take what I love about fashion and get into mm-hmm. this career as an attorney? I would say that I've always been, like, a fashionable person. I think that really comes from my mom. Um, My mom, you know, used to put me in, like, crazy outfits growing up. Uh, I can always – I always remember, like, this cow print outfit that I had in, like, third grade. And I was, like, styling. Like, I was cow print from head to toe. Like, shoes or cow print. They were, like, fur cow print. Um, And I love that outfit. But I've always just – I've just been, like, a – stylish person but I wasn't really able to explore that until college where I could finally wear whatever I wanted to I went to a high school where I still ended up having to wear uniform I wore uniform basically my whole life so 
So I didn't really get to explore my individuality or, you know, find my own sense of fashion until, like, college. Um, so I think even just playing around in college just with fashion and going to thrift stores, it just, yeah, it, it something clicked. And I was just like, I like this. <laughs> I'm all, I like this. And I would say what interested me into becoming, like, a fashion attorney uh, in undergrad, you know, after having years of experimenting with fashion, well, for those three years, my senior year of undergrad, I started my first business, my fashion business. And it was because I noticed that the clothing in my sorority was pretty outdated. I don't know if, I mean, I think there's been some improvement in this area, but back when I first joined my sorority and when I started this business, a lot of the clothing was pretty out of date compared to the white sororities. I'm a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, and they were out of date. They were just the same kind of designs being made over and over. So my senior year of college, I decided I'm going to take my refund check from tuition, <laughs> and I'm going to put that into starting my own business. And it was just for AKAs at that time. Because um, I just felt like, of course, I'm an AKA. I would know what they would like. Now with mm-hmm. this business that I have now, I, I make clothing and para for all the stories, and that's that, you know, my on my website. So I'm able to diversify in that sense. But I started out in undergrad with that business for AKA. So I was making, like, cell phone cases. I had designed clothing, um, little accessories. And I think that's what first gave me the drive to go to law school with the concentration in fashion interesting yeah like because i had to teach my i had to teach myself these things i had to teach myself you know um taxes technically you know tax law a little bit and i was teaching myself intellectual property as well because i needed to make sure that i wasn't like infringing on aka intellectual property that makes sense yeah (laughs) and it makes sense right so i was making sure that i had to be kind of slick in advertising to AKAs and making AKA products without actually using any of their official um, terms or any of their official trademarks, logos, slogans, stuff like that. So I had to, you know, work my way around it. And I think I already knew that in undergrad, just knowing that there's licensing deals means that you need to get a license to use this stuff. So, um, I just made sure that legally I was doing things that wouldn't get me into trouble. <laughs> and that's what made me think, oh, you know what? I will learn a lot more about this, and it would probably be easier to understand this if I went to law school. See, I find that interesting because my thought is that, you know, while you're working on this business, you'd be like, oh, I want to be a designer, and I'm going to go to fashion school or something. But I love that you said, like, doing all of the research that led you into a career as a lawyer and going to law school because you wanted to to learn more. And I think, you know, Mm. now that puts you in a position to help other people uh, legally when it comes to building their, like, fashion or entertainment businesses. Definitely. Yeah, I think, you know, you have such a good point that I didn't even think to think. (laughs) Like, my mind didn't go straight to thinking, yeah, go to, art like, fashion school or go to art school. My mind went straight to doing the research maybe because I was already designing myself so Mm -hmm. I had you know I taught myself photoshop because I had this idea to start my own business I taught myself photoshop within that time 
and I taught myself Photoshop very quickly um, because I was like, I have these images that I'm writing, drawing onto paper and in my mind that I need to make come to life. So maybe because my work was more, um, what do you call it? Well, I guess graphic design-ish <laughs> that I didn't really think art school. I just thought, how am I going to protect myself? Um, from getting in trouble with AKA, basically. <laughs> so I was just like, all right, that's where the research comes in. Yeah, I think it's very powerful. And I think I get a lot of joy from helping young entrepreneurs or answering those kind of questions. Even though I'm a fresh lawyer, I'm new, I'm fresh out the gate, I think I've learned knowledge. I've learned things that are going to help my own brand grow. And I just think I should share that back with the Black community because there's so much misinformation and just things that people don't know you you weren't taught these things I had to go to law school to even understand and finally put these things in a straight logical understanding for me so just try to do that for other entrepreneurs with the legal series that I have on YouTube so can you share more about the job of an intellectual property lawyer because people listening like I don't even know what that is and why Mm -hmm. I need one yes I'm sorry. I feel like I should have explained what I was saying. It's like no, property and IP, and I'm not even sure if people. Every time I say that, I have to remember that people don't really. It's not a term that people hear often, so like you have to explain what that is. But um, intellectual property, obviously, it refers to property, but that's more like I guess virtual in a sense. It's like your name, so it could be your trademark, a, a piece of art, meaning copyright and patent, meaning like if you're patenting a new invention or patenting a new fabric. Uh, So intellectual property kind of deals with anything that protects the brand's ideas and their essence and their overall look and the feel of what makes a brand or what makes a musician, what makes any art form that you can think of. So I just graduated from law school in May of 2019. So I'm a pretty new lawyer. Uh, and it's really hard to find intellectual property law, uh, intellectual property jobs straight out of law school because they usually want just like three to five years of experience. You know, every job, it doesn't matter. They want the years of experience. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks. So I'm still kind of looking for work in IP. Um, I'm trying to hold out for IP work um, because that's what I really find interesting. That's what I'm like and that's what I feel driven to. I feel like I wouldn't be as happy with my life if I was doing some other kind of law. Even though the work might overlap, it wouldn't just be like it wouldn't be working with artists. It wouldn't be working with like fashion brands, for example. So I would miss that. I think that I need that kind of connection. But straight out of um what I can tell you about um, an intellectual property lawyer. I think it depends on the environment that you're going to be in and then the work that you're going to perform. So when I think about environment, I'm thinking about like in-house lawyer versus a firm. And that's another term that a lot of people don't really use either. But an in-house lawyer, I guess, is a lawyer for just one company, one client. Um, so you could think of like, I'm the in-house lawyer for Macy's. So that means you're going to handle a lot of Macy's legal task, whether it's doing things like the intellectual property things and maybe even other business corporation kind of law. Um, so for an in-house lawyer, you probably have to trademark, copyright, and patent filing. 
Um, you'll probably look over licensing deals, celebrity endorsements, influencer agreements. It gets more specific to the to that one client. Um, whereas in a firm, you're probably representing multiple clients, and you're still doing the same filing of paperwork, um, trademark, copyright, patent. Um, you'll probably still do licensing deals, maybe. Um, but I think it depends even if the firm is small versus large. So like a smaller firm, you might have one person that handles solely trademarks. And then you might have one person who's handling just solely copyrights. <laughs> and so you'll divide the task differently compared to like a larger firm where everyone can kind of dip their hands into everything. And um, for both, you probably send out cease and desist. It's a lot of like paperwork, honestly, which kind of doesn't sound too glamorous, <laughs> but it, it guess it just depends on the type of personality that you have because like there's the paperwork researching part of the job or you can actually just go into prosecution work, which means that, you know, you're going to court and you're defending an artist whose work's been stolen, for example, or yeah, their work's been stolen or someone is attempting to use their name to profit off of their own good, you know, stuff like that. Theft and getting back money for someone's feelings. <laughs> yeah, those are the kind of jobs. And I would say in-house is, a, is usually considered a cushier job. It's usually um, a job where you're not working weekends. You don't have to really take your work home, possibly. Oh, okay. And... Yeah, but that's because you just have, job. I guess, like one client. One client, exactly. Yeah, that would make sense. And I mean, you form a, I mean, in in house, you'll form a closer relationship with everyone because you probably work closely with the CEO or maybe some art directors. You work closely with the art department. It's more of like a family kind of environment because everyone is working to build this one brand compared to, like, a firm where you'll have, like, multiple clients. With the job of an intellectual property lawyer, is it realistic mm -hmm. to say, hey, um, I just graduated from law school, uh, I want to be an IT lawyer, I'm going to go out and start my own firm? Mm, great question. I'm still figuring this out myself, but is it realistic? Oh. <sighs> I'm not sure if it's too realistic. I can't say for sure that it's realistic um, because, I mean, even when you're starting a firm, anything as big as starting your own firm, it requires a lot of work on your own, a lot of research, figuring out how you're going to do billing, figuring out how you're going to pay for the programs that offer research. Yes. It requires a lot of, like, capital and just research and then building that client base. Um, it's a lot of work. I don't necessarily think that it's very easy to become an intellectual property lawyer straight out the gate. It's just one of those fields that is very much in high demand and not so many jobs for it. I, I wish I could say better because that would help me improve my situation now too. Because <laughs> I wish that I could just do that. Um, yeah, it, it's not realistic for it to just work out of the gate but I don't think that means you should be any less um, driven or motivated to do intellectual property because I feel like it's something that can apply in so many different areas of life it's protecting an idea like every business starts out with an idea 
right. every business has to have a name. Like there is use in it. So even if it's not necessarily in fashion, um, there could be other. You can do music. You can do sports. Um, you you can do anything with it. Um, I don't want to discourage people from doing it. I think it's like the best field ever. <laughs> um, no, I don't think it's a discouragement. I just think it's a realistic outlook on what mm-hmm. you know you'd be going into, and I think that's important mm-hmm. to know. Like mm-hmm. these are potential obstacles that I face, that I will face. Yeah. So if they yeah. come in contact with it, they know not to give up, but you yeah. know to keep working and to push past it. So I think that's yeah. great. Thank you. You know what? And I I would also say that. I feel like a lot of, like, people who are interested in intellectual property are maybe artists or creatives themselves because it kind of just makes sense. If you like the arts and you want to learn more about the law behind the art. Um, so I think it's a good way to at least back yourself up with some knowledge in case you ever want to start your own brand. So it doesn't even just have to be starting your own firm. You can take it and create your own business or start freelancing again or whatever you do that's like creative your side hustles it's just going to empower you to even do that I think in law school because it's such like a traditional space you'll often hear like your career services office tell you that um, that their plan is just to get you into a law firm once you graduate and it's hard to feel like you want to do something more because they're not pushing that narrative on you and you'll have, like, maybe, like, an inner conflict to whether you want to pursue the traditional route only or if you want to, like, trailblaze, make a name for yourself. And it's the road that's not paved for you, so it's really hard. But um, I think it's a, in that sense, you can still use the degree to empower you in different ways. I don't want to say that law school just means that you have to become a lawyer. Because in the United States, that's kind of the perception, the goal that everyone has, that you go to law school just to become a lawyer. But you can go to law school to learn so many different things and take it into different fields. You know, I've never thought about it that way. But Mm -hmm. that is true. Like, as a creative, uh, law school would absolutely be beneficial to you. Uh, And you Mm -hmm. might, that might be a route that you consider not to become a lawyer, but just to gain more knowledge, maybe help other people, um, or just know what to look for and how to go about things. Exactly. That's how I embrace law school for me personally. Mm -hmm. No, that's a good point. So I find that when it comes to fashion and other creative fields, black people, we normally Mm -hmm. like to be on the or we normally are like on the artistic side. So in fashion, we're like designers or stylists or, yes, or models yeah. or something or in entertainment, like, you know, we're musicians mm-hmm. and all of that. Mm-hmm. And yes. as you get mm-hmm. more into the background, like if you think about managers or, you know, executives and lawyers, those kinds of things, we yes. aren't as present. Mm-hmm. So in your experience, is this a field where you see like many people of color, specifically many women of color? I love this question. <laughs> I love this question. <laughs> this is such a great question. Um, yeah, because as you were saying, you're absolutely right. Um, black people, we you tend to like just 
use our artistic talents in the creative field. So we tend to be like just the artist. And then there's usually like this machine of moguls behind us. And usually you think of the white, the boardroom full of white people. Um, and I would say that with this generation, um, the great thing about it is that there are more black women entering the field. Now there are more black millennials interested in law school and interested in IP. What I've noticed, I go back to my law school pretty often because I'm just very, um, I'm very involved in different parts of law school still. I feel like a super senior when I go back. <laughs> but, like, I'm still, like, it's pretty much involved with my Black Law Student Association over there. Um, and I still pretty much take in mentors or not mentors, but mentees who are interested in IP and they happen to be Black women or even Black men. Um, and there are so many, every year I keep seeing more and more students coming into the school, Black students in particular, who want to study fashion law or who want to study entertainment law. And it makes me so happy to see their faces because there aren't a lot of us. I would say there aren't a lot of us. And the ones that you do know, I guess maybe they have started to make a platform for themselves, like on Twitter or on Instagram. They're, like, trying to build that brand just kind of like what I'm doing now with, with my YouTube series. It's like trying to build yourself as a name for people to recognize to help Black entrepreneurs. Because to me, it just makes sense that if Black women entrepreneurs, aren't we the demographic that makes the most businesses, Black women? Yes. That we start like the, the most businesses in America? Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like or fastest going, something like that. So I'm like, it makes sense that there should be some Black women lawyers to talk to other black women entrepreneurs so the the field is growing and i would say i have faced some of my own um you know just criticisms or maybe even just a little bit of stereotypes being a black woman in that traditional space and they're just not used to seeing us yet (laughs) so they're not used to they're not used to seeing us there yet but um that's part of the, the, you know, the hard part about being, I guess, trailblazers um, is to be one of those first people in the room and um, just to not let it get to you too much. Everyone has to, it has to start somewhere, so why not let it start with you? And I think, you know, also in addition to having Black women lawyers, even Black men lawyers helping, you know, grow and advise Black businesses, I think mm-hmm. it's a great position to be in also when you think about these big corporate brands. I think about that whole like Gucci debacle and then oh. mm-hmm. it came to a it came to a point where they're like, Okay, now we wanna to put together this panel or you know, this in house team of exactly. diverse executives to keep this stuff from happening. And so it's important mm-hmm. to have skilled and trained lawyers to be yes. able to go into those corporate spaces and speak up for the culture in a sense to make mm-hmm. sure that these brands aren't making these same um, mistakes. Quote unquote yeah, mistakes. Yeah, right. Quote unquote mistakes. Right. That's why I was like, do you even want to use the word mistakes here? Right. That's but, what I was thinking. Like, do I even want to say mistakes? Mm-hmm. So I can think of another word at the moment. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But making these mm-hmm. decisions. <laughs> yes. Yes. And that's why I would say there is a need for more black lawyers in general in these in these fields because I, I can't I think black lawyers only make about like four percent 
of lawyers in this country, it's a very low number. That is yeah, very small. There's no, yeah, it's a very small number. And now to at least have, it makes sense that for, like, you know, the millennial generation, we're just more interested in the arts. So it makes sense that now there are more black lawyers at least becoming interested in the legal side of the arts. But we definitely need those people in those boardrooms. So things like this stop happening. Um, so I think it's kind of unfortunate that these companies are, like, asking for three to five years of experience straight out the bat because I'm like, most black lawyers are their first-generation black lawyers, and they they don't have those experience fresh out of school yet. And we're still even looking for people to give us a chance to be seen because we're going into this environment that's mostly made for, for white people. Um, let's not lie. Black people couldn't even take, go to law school. And they couldn't even take the law school exams for a while. So it's not like an area that we were accepted into in the beginning. It was made and it was, it, it definitely perpetuates this white male dominant um, environment. So we, we need black people in those rooms. And I think the more black lawyers we create, the better it's going to be for these brands. Because honestly, an in-house, an in-house lawyer, their job is to give advice and tell Gucci not to do this blackface um, <laughs> net situation. Like a, a black lawyer would have picked up on that right away. You know, I mean, it doesn't even have to be a lawyer. A black artist in general would have picked up on that right, right away. Yeah, yeah I mean, just, that's the importance of having all of these different perspectives in the room mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. these decisions aren't made. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to switch gears a little bit to more, somewhat more of the legal side. Okay. Okay. So on the podcast, I cover lots of stories about historical fashion figures, um, designers, stylists, illustrators, all that stuff. And Mm -hmm. a trend that I've seen is that once the person, the actual designer is deceased, the whole company is now completely over. So now you have years later, and we don't have, like, a brand that's like Chanel that's gone through, you know, centuries or, like, Mm -hmm. Christian Dior that's been around for a really long time. Like, we don't have an equivalent black brand. Exactly. And so I'm wondering, Mm -hmm. like, from the legal side, is there anything that brands can do to make sure that, you know, their legacy does continue outside of them. Yeah. This question, I I thought, I, you know, I was thinking about this a lot um, because we don't have a lot of black brands, like you said, that are doing this. I think they, like, Fenty is supposed to be, like, the first black women luxury brand that's actually, like, owned by a black woman. We don't even really have, like, black women luxury owners. Um, and at most black brands that you think of, they're already like indie brands, um, mm-hmm. or like they, they're not brands that are really, or maybe I guess you could think about like Fubu and Rock, like Rockwear, what it used to be back in the day. Like those were like black fashion brands. But once a person is deceased, I would say that I, I, I can't say that I have a lot of experience in this just yet, just you know, being a new lawyer. And to me, what it sounds like for, for protection, legal protection, that sounds like that may be an area for a trust in state lawyer 
or actually going over because intellectual property doesn't necessarily really correlate with longevity maybe in a sense uh, a trademark for example is it lasts your whole life once you have a trademark it does last indefinitely but it's just indefinite as long as it's continuing to be used in the market so you have to continue right. to use that mark commercially in order to keep it and i mean copyright for example copyright lasts the length of a person's life and then 70 years after their death um so like it does have like an ending time period and that's because our society is just interested in moving art forward all the time and they're not necessarily they don't want to stifle creativity because creativity is what drives our society is like what keeps us moving so it's hard to protect legal it's hard to legally protect artwork i think if it comes to talking about when a person is deceased there's so many factors that you think about because you you think about who's going to own the company and usually that's probably drawn up in like estate planning or with um yeah it's like an estate attorney that they will go over those things with you but you also have to think about is the brand so closely connected to the artist that the artist is the face of it now you have to worry about whether the artist's own image and their likeness is used in a way that contradicts their brand or used in a way that unnecessarily like, you know like it can actually harm their brand or just contradict who they are so maybe this might not be so much for fashion but i always think about musicians legacy when they're gone and we always think about like how how michael jackson's estate was being divided up and prince's estate um yeah Tupac, or you always think and then you think about like how you often find maybe in fact if i can relate it back to fashion you'll see like those artists images on like t-shirts on hoodies and that's because their image itself is being licensed out to people so i wonder in a sense like to me i guess i was thinking about fenty because rihanna's image also is something that she controls herself but fenty is so closely related to who rihanna is so that it yeah can kind and of it's conflict with yeah it's her name you know right it could conflict with the luxury brand versus the celebrity image and going into graphic t-shirts it's I can't necessarily say what's the best way to ensure that your legacy remains pure to who you are after you're deceased. It's it's an unfortunate thing. Um all you can really do is so much of agreements and make sure that the directors that are coming after you pretty much keep up with the brand. But luxury brands have these problems too. Like Chanel's brand since the passing of Carl, it hasn't really been the same. <laughs> You're gonna have those problems where, like, the image of that the fashion company created isn't necessarily continued after that person is deceased. And I think you that gave was a, long a good point. Answer. No, it's, <laughs> it's, I think you gave a really good point of reference, which is, you know, to consult an estate attorney. I think a lot of creatives. Mm-hmm. We have a big idea, vision for what we want our business to be, and we see it, we may see it lasting for years and years and being this big name, but we don't Mm -hmm. necessarily know the steps to take to ensure that that happens. So even Mm -hmm. just putting the bug in someone's ear like, hey, 
seek mm-hmm. out an estate attorney or they could be helpful with this, help them mm-hmm. on the path of building like that dream brand. So I thought yeah, it was good. Definitely. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, I think it's definitely like a year, like it's such, I understand how important this would be to an artist. But in that same vein, I know there are many like indie black brands and designers who have had their stuff used by larger brands. And you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier that it's really hard to protect art. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, exactly. And I've heard you talk about this before, copywriting and um, mm-hmm. just protecting their designs and how, like, there's certain things, like, you can't trademark. And yes, there's yes, some yes. things that can be trademarked. So could you explain yes. that a little more um, and yes. kind of let people know what is legally possible within the realm of protecting your design and how to combat if there's a way to combat you know if something like that happens i love i love this question because this is kind of what my legal series focuses on all the time like these kind of um day-to-day problems that young entrepreneurs will probably have like indie brand being copied by a larger brand and i off the top of my head i can always think about like the indie brands on instagram who make captions on social media about like fashion nova taking right. the design yeah like it's, it's just like a very That's common a thing <laughs> it's a big right yeah it's a big one um and it's because as i said like art isn't easy to legally protect society wants art to keep influencing and inspiring the world to create new things it's why it's how we get new inventions it's how we improve upon old inventions um, for when you think about necessarily indie brands cop well bigger brands copying indie brands, I think that mostly goes to copyright law. Um, because with the example that I've given you before, it's like taking the same um dress and putting it on Fashion Nova's website. And those kind of things can't be protected. So copyright law refers to works of art that are pictorial, graphic sculptural, music, literary, um, any kind of work of art that is fixed in an original tangible medium of expression. That's just like the legal definition, but that usually just means that um, the work of art exists in life. Like it exists on a piece of paper, it exists in the fabric. Um, And the problem with copyrights is that it doesn't protect useful articles because it's considered useful for everyone to use it. Everyone needs access to it. So you can't protect the cut of a garment. Um, you can't protect the style of a t-shirt. Um, all of that is useful because it's how the clothing is meant to like adapt and fit on the body. Um, so you really can't protect our um, clothing. It's just considered a useful article. When you think about protection for, I guess, in terms of fashion, what you really can protect is your name. You can protect your logo, your monogram. So if you see like a designer, like Gucci always has like the G, um, and mm-hmm. you know LV always has like LV all over its bags, and that's why their work is protectable because they're actually protecting the monogram itself. It's not necessarily the shape of the bag. And you asked me, is there anything legally that designers can do? Yes. See, no. <laughs> focusing on fashion, yes. <laughs> focusing on fashion, no. There is 
there isn't anything legally that could be done. Because again, if you're talking just about the cut of the cut of a garment, then it's not going to go. And you, if it's a useful article, then that's not really going to work. It has to be someone is stealing your your trademark logo or maybe stealing the overall look of your brand. And with the overall look of your brand, you would have to point out really specific elements that make your brand different from every other brand out there. So that's why Fashion Nova is able to get away with it. That's why a lot of bigger brands are able to get away with it. And a lot of luxury designers, they just pretty much trap it up to the game. They tell themselves that when they're working on their fall collection and someone steals from their fall collection, they're already moving on to spring. They're already, they, they don't waste their time going to court to sue anyone over that because court process takes a long time to begin with. And by that time that they, someone stole in their fall, they're already moved on to the next one. So for young designers, it's kind of like, I understand that it sucks to feel like your work is taken, but as an artist, you have to just keep creating. There's really not much you can do. But it sounds like it would be beneficial for a young designer, a new designer, to really, like, build a brand around, like, their name or or their moniker mm-hmm. or whatever, um, mm-hmm. something like that. Because you brought up the examples, mm-hmm. like, Gucci um, and Louis Vuitton, like, how yeah. their logos are so mm-hmm. recognizable that if someone tries yeah. to use, like, they may not use the Gs or something, but they use something yeah. similar... Um, you know, mm-hmm. that's something yes, that yeah. it will be protected. So yes. it seems like for designers, why you can't have like your specific T-shirt that you created or, um, you know, the skirt that you created as a mm-hmm. part of your brand protected, mm-hmm. you might be able to have, you know, the name of the brand, the logo and all that other stuff. Yes. And if that's something that's yes. heavily incorporated, then, you know, there is some solace and protection yes. in that. I kind of think that it's interesting that you find a lot of black designers, they kind of do this naturally on their own. They 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 put their logo or they put their name onto clothing naturally. Like they just do that. I think a lot of designers just think this is my brand. I want it to represent me. So they just throw mm-hmm. their name on it. I think it's like a natural thing. And I mean, technically, it's a good thing because throwing their name on it helps them in so many ways. Um, but I would say if you're starting a fashion brand or business, I have a video about this, too. I think it's episode two. Um, I would just advise or warn. I don't want to advise, but I would warn <laughs> artists out there you're right I don't want to advise but word word artists out there about using their own personal name on their fashion brand so we know that Gucci and Fendi they're named after who the person is but I would say if you can create a name that has nothing to do with who you are as a person because if when your brand blows up and you have millions of dollars uh, you'll lose access to your own name um, you basically, when you sell your business or when you, when it becomes public and publicly traded on, everyone owns like a piece of your name. So if you were to start this fashion company and I call it Joyce Johnson, I sell Joyce Johnson and then I want to start another fashion company using kind of my name and saying, oh, this is a designing company by Joyce Johnson. Like it, it won't work. 
<laughs> they don't want you to associate another brand with your name anymore. So you have to be very careful about using your own name if you do see yourself in the future wanting to expand in this way. You can lose the rights to your own name. That's just a weird feeling <laughs> that you no, see that you is. don't I, get to use it. I wasn't even aware of that, but that makes sense. That's yes. really important to note for like yes. legacy purposes. I didn't even mm-hmm. know that until I saw your video and you were talking about that. I was like, you know, that's a good point because a lot of creatives, we just rush to name things. Sometimes we can't think of names, so we put our names mm-hmm. on it mm-hmm. or we just, <laughs> or we think like we want to make a name for ourselves, so we like to see our name on all of these people. And yeah, yes, yes. How much of a great feeling it would be for you know this certain celebrity to have our name on their backs, and mm. we don't think about it in the long term. Yeah, definitely. That is so important in the long term, and that's exactly where you, I mean that's the one thing that goes to longevity, um, and just legacy in general. But like your name is no longer yours if if it ever becomes that big of a name it doesn't belong to you anymore and you really want to work on maintaining your vision well you've worked on maintaining your vision and now you've sold it and now it's pretty much up to a board of directors to do whatever they want with it it's no longer belonging to you because in the video i mentioned um kate spade like she started this business with her own name and then when she sold that business to other, like a third party, she ended up changing her name legally because she couldn't use her own name to start this new company that she had, this similar company. Mm-hmm. So she changed her name to like Kate Valentine Spade before she opened up, like, I think the new brand was called Kate Valentine or something like that. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what it was called. And just because she still wanted to have a connection with the new brand, but she couldn't use her old name. Yeah. Well, bringing it back to you, I know mm-hmm. you said you're like a fresh attorney, just fresh out of law school. So mm-hmm. what impact do you want to make in this industry as both an attorney, a creative, a designer, a personality, all of that? <laughs> Oh, this is such a good question. No, that, well, I guess not a good question. This is a, a crazy question for me because I think about this constantly and it's not getting any easier to find an answer to that. <laughs> so I'm just like, God, I wish. This is like the question, like, oh, where do you see yourself in five to ten years, kind of? And I'm just like, oh, my God. Oh, well, don't, I have big dreams. And don't even think about it as, like, what do you want to do? But yeah. Just, even if it's a matter of, okay, what feeling you want to bring to people. Yeah, exactly. Um, right, yeah. I think that's kind of what I look towards it for. Um, when I think about it, I just think I want to be the voice for black entrepreneurs. So I really want to be, like, that pinpoint person that you can say, oh, yeah, you need help with this? Joyce can help you. Or go watch this YouTube series because this is going to really help you build your business. I think I want people to feel like they have the knowledge of law school without paying for the three years of it (laughs) Um, or like having to struggle through the three years of it. I want to continue building my brand, obviously, um, both in the legal world and in the fashion world. I just want to be, I want to feel mogul-ish and I want to help other people become mogul-ish as well. The impact that I want to make is that 
there are other ways of empowering yourself and becoming an entrepreneur and becoming a business person than having to stick to just what is told to you or having to stick to the traditional path of things. I, I, I don't want to stick to the traditional at all. So at least I want someone to feel like they don't have to do that either. Last but not least, please share with everyone where they can find you online, offline, um, however you want them to connect with you. Yeah, you know, I this whole interview, I never really stayed in my social media name or anything. Silly. <laughs> Silly me. Uh, so my name again is Joyce Johnson, and you can find me on social media at Alien in the Room. And that's Alien in the Room. Duh is the DA, not T-H-E. Um, and my website is also alienintheroom.com. And on that website, that's where you can shop some of my creations and you can connect with me even deeper. I teach people how to use Photoshop um, in a free course, um, just if you're interested in getting into the arts and maybe starting your own clothing business that can help you out. And um, But I'm on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest, Alien in the room. And that's it, guys. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jaleesa Johnson. Make sure to follow her all across social media on all of her platforms. Her legal series on YouTube is the best. If you are an entrepreneur and you want to know how to protect your brand and just learn more about law as it relates to business, please check her out on YouTube. Listen to her series. You're going to learn so much. And on top of all of that black excellence and legal knowledge, she also serves looks. So make sure to follow her on Instagram and all across the web. And of course, make sure to share this episode. Matter of fact, I want you to pick one entrepreneur friend of yours and email them this episode, text it to them, DM them on Instagram, send a smoke signal whatever you want to do but share this with them and i'm sure they will thank you and last but not least make sure that you tune in again next week for another black fashion history installment bye bye